Deadly Ed acknowledges the traditional custodians throughout Australia and their continuing connection to country, sea and community. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and future and recognise their continuing connection and contribution to this land and Aboriginal education. This week's dose is with Jake McDonald from the Newcastle University's Office of Indigenous Strategy and Leadership. We yarn with Jake about his work at the university, his experiences of Aboriginal ed growing up through to his own teaching career. Plus we delve into our universities doing enough for Aboriginal education. This is episode three, this is The Deadly Dose. Welcome back to another episode of The Deadly Dose. My name's Josh Brown and as always joined by uh, Miss Radri 2022, Courtney Ruby. Um, and today, got our special guest, uh, Jake McDonald. Uh, welcome to The Deadly Dose, brother. Thanks, Brownie. Thanks for having me, mate. And uh, Courts, how are we this week? Going all right? Going very well, thanks, Josh. Yep. <laughs> Good to hear. Always, always. Yeah, so today i uh, got Brother Jake on and we're going to talk a bit about uh, himself and where he grew up and so I guess some of his experiences when it comes to Aboriginal ed, but really getting into our topic of discussion today, which Courts wrote a, another outstanding uh, piece on, which was, are universities doing enough for Aboriginal education, uh, mainly focusing on the pre-service teachers and our university is doing enough to prepare pre-service teachers uh, before they go into the classroom. So, uh, Jay, want to tell us a little bit about uh, who's your mob, where you're from and um, any other fun facts? <laughs> yes, uh, Brownie, I'm a, a Narrabore man. Um, my family come from the deep water Emmerville region of northern New South Wales. Um, so that's where my family's from and um, – I grew up on dark and young country on the central coast. Uh, our family been down here for a couple of generations now. Um, yeah, so I grew up on the north end of the coast, uh, kind of Tukli, Norville area of the coast. And um, yeah, just uh, working at the, the University of Newcastle now. So coming in uh, from a Wobbicle country. Um, but yeah, that's, that's where my mob's from. Mm-hmm. And what's your current role now at the university? Yeah, it's one of those silly titles. I think it's called uh, Indigenous Executive <laughs> Support Officer or something like that. That but... doesn't sound silly at all. Hey, you <laughs> said <cool>. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I work um, in the Office of Indigenous Strategy and Leadership um, and so that's under um, our Pro Vice-Chancellor Nathan Towney, Radri Man. Um, and in that team, um, I look after uh, – there's, there's four pillars in our team and one staff member on each pillar. Uh, and I look after our first one, which is our cultural knowledge and understanding piece. Um, so I look at how do we uh, lift the cultural knowledge and understanding of our staff um, and what does that mean for our students as well and, and how do we make sure that uh, university students walk out with a better understanding of our history, people, culture, how to work with our people than when they walked in and enrolled. So, um, yeah, that's that piece of work sits with me. Excellent. So... You know, um, for those who don't know, Jake himself, uh, also another legendary former PE teacher, 
just like some others uh, in this room today. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> and <clears throat> I want you to tell us a little bit about, I guess, before you started PE teaching, what was what was it like growing up and what was Aboriginal education like growing up for you when you were in school? Yeah, in school, I, I was really lucky. I went to, to Gorican High School on the Central Coast um, and just incredibly lucky to have some really dedicated and hardworking and uh, knowledgeable people. Um, and I believe that their Aboriginal education team was the reason why I finished high school um, and, and got through high school. Um, so yeah, um, went to Tookley Primary, and, and that was that was fine. And um, and, and uh, Gorican High School was just yeah incredible. You know, uh, high Aboriginal population, Gorican. Um, you know, and and it's the one where everyone, all Blackfellas, send their kids to Gorican because they know they're going to be culturally supported and looked after, and you know, success is fostered out of those those things. And um, but yeah, I I was probably a bit cheeky in school, um, not really engaged, um, didn't really. Uh, have any aspirations for higher education and um, I think it got to a point where um, you know I wasn't sure what I was going to do and um, what my next steps were and then um, it was uh, Arnie Leslie Walker or Armstrong now and um, and the, the the team there that really kind of helped me get through school and feel a, a sense of connection as well and I know for a lot of blackfellas that's what we need, right? You need to feel that sense of connection to the school and, and understand that, you know, you are um, your identity is, is um, seen in that school. Um, and so that was the turning point for me where I had a crack and, you know, got through high school and, and lucky enough, as you said, Brownie, uh, to get into a PE teaching degree at University of Newcastle. And that's, it. that's, that's where one. we met, mate, and I had yeah. to start, start putting up with you from there. <laughs> <laughs> Well, look, uh, look. When it comes to you know, when you say oh, I wasn't engaged in school, well, look, those waves aren't going to surf themselves either. So, you know, <laughs> uh, being on the central coast, there. Yeah, there were definitely a couple of days I maybe snuck out the back door with my surfboard and going up to period one. <laughs> yeah, uh, guilty. I, I owned up years later to mum about that. <laughs> Yeah, for, for those listening, uh, <laughs> it all comes out today. Yes. Uh, courts. Jack, I've got one question though. Other than relationships, what was it about culture that really connected you to finishing school? Yeah, I was really lucky um, as a young fella. The, the cultural side of things, um, I was I got through my family and through my father and I spent a lot of time where culture was was shared with me was walking down the beach and um, my dad would tell stories about our family and share cultural information and he would show you you know how to understand the ocean um, and understand what um, you know animals were doing and, and fish were doing and where they were going to be at different times and understand how tides and, and swell direction all um, impact this kind of ever-changing nature of the sea and and I later realized that that was all a metaphor for understanding the dynamic nature of the ocean is understanding the dynamic nature of life and um, so I felt that strong cultural education piece through my community and through my family and, and was receiving that in school 
But I think what the the high school did was um, affirmed that, and you saw other blackfellas that were like you, um, and um, you know we had some really good cultural programs. And um, I was lucky as a kid. I grew up playing the didge, and then when I went to high school, there was a didge group, and there were other other kids, you know, that were playing the didge and involved in culture. And while that's a Yongu law, and um, you know, I was lucky enough to to be engaged in that space. And you know, we had dance and art and. Um, and so the cultural elements were good, but um, I think, you know, a lot of the, the stuff I was being taught was outside of the school, but the the sense of um, community that was created at Gorakin was what mattered. And, you know, the these kids that came from all different, you know, family situations and, and whatnot, and their, their mobs are from all different places. When you came to the school, it was, you know, that, that coming together and sense of community and um, us being in that same space is what made me feel connected to the school. And then having some strong aunties and uncles and and leaders that um, role-modelled behaviours that, that young people needed um, and still need um, was what allowed me to, to see some um, success and then understand that that's what I wanted to do in the future is step into that education space. Yeah, right. That's really beautiful because, you know, we meet a lot of blackfellas that become teachers because, you know, what they know about their culture isn't replicated in school. And so that's really nice that you've had that experience and that you're able to bring that to others. Um, So we wrote an article not too long ago about what universities are doing in regards to Aboriginal education. And we asked the question on our socials and lots of people wrote in about their, I don't want to say terrible, but they were terrible, these experiences that they have in regards to setting the standard around Aboriginal education. But I've been fortunate enough to see some of what you do in action and what's been happening at the University of Newcastle, which gives us a lot of hope. Um, hopefully that change spreads but do you want to tell us about what happens at the uni to undo some of these poor standards around Aboriginal education in tertiary education? Yeah thanks for your kind words Courts. Um, Yeah look I think it's hard to throw a blanket across Aboriginal education it's such a a broad term Um, and I think there's varying degrees of success that at, at the university level in, in the same way that there are at the high school and primary school and early childhood space as well. And at times, you know, they're a little bit like spot fires where some places are absolutely on fire and then there's some that maybe nothing's caught on at all. Um, but, yeah, from the University of Newcastle perspective, there were a couple of things that have happened quite recently that um, we're really proud of and, and I, I feel that we are maybe driving some, some of that in our space. Um, so three years ago, um, we this office was established, which is the office uh, of the Pro Vice Chancellor, Indigenous Strategy and Leadership. And prior to that, for for decades, the Wallatuka Institute, which is like the Aboriginal Education Centre at the university, was responsible for all Aboriginal education for the university. Um, and then that's on top of um, what their core business is, which is you know supporting the participation and retention of our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students. Um, uh, an element of Aboriginal-led research um, and then running their their courses as well, like their ABOR courses. Um, and so uh, servicing the rest of the university was something that was uh, above and beyond the remit of the Wallatooka Institute. And so there was some really clever strategic thinking is to put uh, a pro-vice-chancellor's office in at the core of the university in the chancery and be involved in the decision-making and, and leadership at the university level, which um, for us as Aboriginal people at the university, that hasn't happened uh, in the past. 
And so Nathan Towney um, was brought in as the Pro Vice-Chancellor um, and he had established our team and um, I was lucky enough to be brought into that team and um, really lucky to have known Nath for a long time. When I was, a quick story, when I was a young fella, um, I'd just finished high school and, and didn't know what I wanted to do and um, I could play the didge and um, I was going to schools and, and teaching young fellas how to play the didge. Um and uh, teaching in different schools. And then one day my phone rang and there was an opportunity by this fellow called Nath Towney, who was deputy principal at Wadawa Community School. And he went, Jake, I'd love for you to come in and have a yarn and get to know you. And I went, yeah, sounds good. And at the end of our conversation, he said, I'll employ you as much as you want. Whatever days you're not, whatever you want to do, um, you know, come in and mentor our young students, um, do some cultural stuff with our kids. And, um, and he put me on as like, a, you know, an Aboriginal education worker. And that was the point where I decided I want to be a teacher because I could see a black fellow that was leading a school and doing Aboriginal education well and committed in that space. And so fast forward to today, it was a weird kind of round the circle type thing. I'd been a, a PE teacher and then I was head teacher PE and then worked as an Aboriginal education consultant for the department. And then this opportunity came up to work with Nath again. And I just went, he's a good leader and a good person and I knew what he was going to be doing was going to be beneficial for me to develop as a, as a human, not even as a professional. And so I joined NACE team uh, two years ago now, and we developed um, this uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander education and research framework that I, I referenced right at the start of the podcast. And it has four pillars. Um, and this is what we're trying to do as our, I suppose, Indigenous commitment at the university level. And I'll, I'll provide just a, a brief insight to what's happening in, in higher ed in our space. So the first part is the cultural knowledge and understanding piece, which maybe is is foundational for all of the other things to be able to, to, to work for us. Um, and it has two pieces. There's the cultural capability framework and some professional learning called the cultural capability training around that framework. And the framework is essentially a, a roadmap with six different standards that our community defined. These are the things they want out of university. So things like community relationships, Indigenous student success, um, you know, resources put into Indigenous um, people and etc. And um, that is measured by a continuum where you would start at cultural awareness is just the start and, and working towards cultural responsiveness. So it kind of works along this continuum. Um, and with all of that being said, this kind of lengthy document is useless if you don't actually show people how to use it and show people what success looks like. And so we developed some cultural capability training. And again, we asked our elders and our knowledge holders and community, students, staff to define what that should look like. And um, we have a, a cultural capability training process, which has been really successful and we've got some really positive feedback. Um, so the first phase of that is... Um, a online module component um, and I know that can sometimes be problematic but it's all video based so we went around and filmed our community our elders and aunties and uncles and and said you know what do you want to share with people if they're a university staff member so they spoke about um, University of Newcastle centric and specific um, pieces of information they think should staff should know so they're three 20-minute on online modules which would take you an hour all up to complete they then come to the second phase, which is face-to-face um, -face with our team. And I know, Courts, you've joined us for a couple of those. And um, it's really uh, building on that foundational knowledge. Um, and it's providing some more specific advice. And um, it's not my place to actually teach culture. What we're teaching people is that self-reflection of their own thoughts and, and processes and their own biases. 
And so it's looking at, you know, some of the historic and contemporary issues in our communities and then really trying to analyse that and get pe getting people to reflect on their own perceptions. Um, and then the third part is the really exciting part. And this is where the cultural knowledge piece is injected, which is on-country experiences. So we've got a relationship with five different cultural, local cultural practitioners that um, are all on board with us. And we um, promote our, our staff out on country. And so, um, you know, if you're at the Arimba campus down on dark and young country, you might go out with Uncle Gabby Duncan and, and do some cultural stuff out on country with him. But it's not our, our place as university staff members to teach that. That's our community's place to do it. And so you go through those three training processes and you come out on the other side and then our office is able to wrap around and say, okay, well, what does an Indigenous commitment look like now you've gone through this process? Because this isn't the end. You know, you haven't finished your training and that's it. It's okay, well, how do we implement this framework and how can our office support you to do what you want to do? Um, and the student-facing piece of that is um, just this year we've um, designed our Indigenous graduate attribute. And um, I think this is in, in response to that article courts is really exciting that um, regardless of what program or what degree you enrol in at the university, you have to have cultural knowledge taught in your program now. And so that's now compulsory for our staff to do that, regardless of physiotherapy, medicine, yeah, you know, wh whatever it is. And um, and so where, where things are doing really well, um, for example, the, the Mil um, Miramar Bumbilla program um, for medicine, you know, if they're doing that really well, that's great. We'll just continue to support you. But if you don't have any cultural knowledge taught through that program, someone comes here for three to five years and doesn't learn anything, then that's where we need to implement a more strategic and embedded approach to Aboriginal education in your degree. Um, and so that work is underway, um, which is a big piece of work for a university to do across the board. Um, and it's our office to guide people in that direction and for them to know, you know, what is appropriate for them to talk about and what is specialisation where you need Aboriginal people teaching. And um, so, yeah, it's really exciting times because that's a massive commitment from the university. And that's that first pillar. And I'll briefly explain the other three. Otherwise, I might just talk all day. I'm sorry. Um, the, the second piece is increasing. You just, you just keep going, mate. Just... <laughs> Thanks, You've got a beautiful, like, narrating voice. I'm just like, yeah. oh, wow, yeah. this is really cool. Yeah. Maybe, maybe audio book coming to Newcastle Uni next. Sorry. Yeah, maybe one of those ones that help put you to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, I'll do the other ones quickly. Um, the, the second piece of those four pillars is uh, the participation and retention of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander uh, people, um, students and staff. And that primarily sits with the Wallatooka Institute and the work they do, recruiting Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students into the university and then keeping them here and making sure they feel culturally supported and, and um, nurtured through their degree. Uh, and then increasing the uh, participation and retention of our staff. So um, locally in our footprint, it's about 3.9% of our population uh, identifies Aboriginal and or Torres Strait Islander. And we need the university to reach parity with our community. Our university must be reflective of our community. And so the target is to have 3.9% at least of our community as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander employees. Um, so that number's come up significantly. We're getting pretty close to that 3% mark. And it was, um, I believe, in the low twos. And now it's, yeah, we've, we've got a goal by 2025 to have that number reached, which is exciting. And if you mob are out there listening to this podcast, there, there might be a job here for you at the university. Yeah, I uh, got, a, got a link for us. To... Yeah. <laughs> put, put some stuff in the, the show notes for our recruitment yeah. pages. <laughs> uh, um, 
third piece is Aboriginal-led research and, and growing um, the amount of Aboriginal people leading research, not just being part of research or being researched with, but us actually driving research in areas that are important to us and our communities telling us what we want to research. And rather than us as universities saying, we think you should focus on these areas, listen to our communities and say, what research do you want conducted? And letting them have complete you know, control and, and, and sovereignty over what that looks like you know, with their data and whatnot. And the last piece is reconciliation and community collaboration. And this is all about our connections to community and making sure there's, we've got good relationships with our, with our communities that we work with um, and our reconciliation action plan, uh, which was again launched this year. So that's kind of what our office does, which is a, a, we're a very small team of six and there's a lot of work out of that, but um, just incredibly um, lucky to have a university that, that I think is taking this commitment very seriously. And so courts in response to that, you know, are we doing enough for Aboriginal education um, for pre-service teachers? It, it's probably hard to, um, to capture everyone's experiences, but I can say one thing that's for sure is it's certainly improving in this space and, and probably like most high schools and primary schools, reflective of school leadership um, and the competence of staff members, you know, um, where if you feel uh, comfortable talking about Aboriginal people and history and culture, or you're experiencing maybe some of that paralysis, which can can occur when people want to engage, but they don't know how. Yeah, well, there's so many, there's actually so many things that I guess the university's taken on board now, and there's a lot of different ways. In I, I think, I think most universities, or if you work at a university, you should definitely be taking something from just those examples because it really kind of touches on all the bases when you think about. Aboriginal culture and education in a university setting, we often just think about what people are learning about, but it's more than just that, um, which I think you've really covered off and it sounds like it's going really well. Yeah, I think so. We've had, um, we are capturing, you know, data and feedback along the journey to see if we're being successful and, and it's overwhelmingly been positive, but the ones we want to hear from are our mob, you know, that's yeah. what matters is, and, yep. and we won't know that. Um, you know, and the longitudinal stuff of that impact, you know, hopefully we'll see soon or soonish. But um, the anecdotal stuff currently is exciting. You know, you know, people saying they've had positive experiences and feel more comfortable working in this space, which is, is the foundations of, of Aboriginal education is just building that ba base level because we've got people from incredible cultural knowledge and understanding to some that have absolutely none at all. So yeah. we've got to build that baseline and, and raise that foundation up. Um, but yeah, I'm, it's it's a exciting time, I think, in the education space. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I guess you know, if you want to go get a job at the university, uh, you'll know where to go to now. Shake dot McDonald at. Yeah, the university at Newcastle website's got all the the info. Um, we've recruitment opportunities as well. But um, yeah, very very exciting time, mate. <laughs> yeah, and look, and it's look safe to say you've got a, a pretty deadly leader in uh, in Rather Townie there leading the charge at the uni. Um, look, couldn't think anything anyone better uh, to do it than him. Um, and you know, always full of great positive things to say, and he's done some really positive things as well. I think was he at uh, was he at Newcastle High with when you were there, courts? Oh, of course. <laughs> oh no, you went to Katara. 
Yeah, I, some I, reason I thought he went to Newcastle. He did start out as a deputy at Newey High, uh, yeah. and then ended up school principal there. Um, yeah, and that was his last job uh, with the department before yep. jumping over to the uni. Yep, yeah, that's right. Uh, very good. And what I guess you know, when you consider um, when we went for uni, what do you feel like has been the main differences? Than compared to now when you're working at the uni, yeah, it's hard seeing the other side of the fence, isn't it? Sometimes brownie to to compare. Um, but I know my very first day um, as a PE teacher or prospective PE teacher, first day of uni um, as a student, I was terrified, like absolutely terrified. I was the Did first person. In, yeah, like, like most of us, um, you know, first uh, Aboriginal person in my family to finish high school or, or go to university and. I showed up to where I thought my first class was um, and uh, went to cross the, the threshold to walk into the door and just couldn't do it. I, like, I looked inside, saw there were people there, and I just went, there's just no way that I will be able to finish uni. I just don't have the capacity, um, you know, and it was that massive fear of the unknown. And um, I walked to the only place on campus that I felt comfortable, which was the Wallatooka Institute. And um, shout out Nat Heath. Um, Nat was there and um, <laughs> he's a good fella. Um, and, and I said, mate, I'm going to quit. I, this, there's no way I'm, go- I'm doing uni. I'll go and do something else. And he sat me down and he went, Bro, you know, you'll be all right. It's, it's um, a shock for everyone and just provided me that support um, I needed. And he convinced me to come back. And the second day I went in the classroom, you know, and I was sitting in the classroom and looking around just saying, mate, oh, I've just got no chance you know everyone seems super switched on and you realize that everyone's probably faking it (laughs) (laughs) um and and there was one other building um which i was terrified of which was this place called the chancellery uh, which was this big red brick building with guys in suits um and i was like i used to not on purpose brownie you know where it is not walk near the building because i was expecting that <laughs> someone would walk out and go hey you're not supposed to be here bro <laughs> so i go no we made a mistake on your enrollment yeah you didn't, you didn't get in or i saw you had that beer at lunch and no <laughs> yeah right they, they they saw you walking out of the bar in the hill didn't they and 100 I, I, I think you were with me brownie yeah <laughs> <laughs> And it's funny now because that's the building I work in, which is weird. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so it is hard to measure. Um, but I think the, the thing that I do think is different is that there seems to be a, um, a real genuine effort by non-Indigenous staff to engage in this space. And I think that's got a lot to do with, um, you know, the university's leadership driving this strategy across. And I think people are now developing their own cultural knowledge and understanding some of the structural stuff that's excluded access for Aboriginal people to experience success and understanding that not creating this culturally responsive environment can contribute to further exclusion of our mob. And I think once people realise that you can be part of the solution and that there's ways that they can actually contribute to reconciliation and this you know, healing and, educate and further education of others, if they can see themselves as part of the solution, then I think they're very willing to engage. They just need the, the leadership and guidance. Yeah. And fe- feeling that now, I feel like our students are in, in really good stead. And that's not to say that I didn't have a positive experience as a uni student because I absolutely did 
you know, Wallatuka provided that for me. But I feel like there's a more of a whole of university approach rather than a you know pockets of people doing things well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess it's it it kind of reflects really some of the other issues that we see why teachers are leaving classroom teaching as well is at times it's falling on this sort of one or small group of Aboriginal people, whereas I guess we can sort of agree that in the past it kind of did rely on that one or two people that sat in Wallatuka, people exactly just like Nat um, that, you know, you'd go to and whether it was for advice or needed help with something or wanted a part-time job or something like that, <laughs> you'd go in there and someone would help you out. And so it's it's great to hear that the university is taking that approach of that, no, this is a whole, everyone needs to be accountable for this and it's actually up to every single person to make Aboriginal education not just work but make it embedded within all the walls, not just the walls of a building that's on the main road <laughs> of the university. One hundred percent, and it's that's a, a otherwise it's a burden on blackfellas. You know, mm. to, if you are the only one that has, that is responsible for driving Aboriginal education in whatever environment you're in, corporate, school, university, whatever, then that's a heavy burden and not sustainable. And yep. so it's actually everyone seeing that they all have a role to play, and mm-hmm. those roles vary. Um, but, yeah, it comes down to the, the leadership, making sure that people understand their role and what success looks like as well. Otherwise, there's all of this goodwill and not much action, which yep. uh, we can fall into those traps for sure. Mm-hmm. And I guess let's just go back a little bit to, and I guess we haven't really covered this, is just yourself being a PE teacher. Now, um Obviously, I provided um, as much mentorship uh, as, as possible <laughs> to, uh. <laughs> to Jake over the years. He does that uh. me, Jake, honestly. He's uh, the world's greatest mentor, isn't he? You just got to ask him. <laughs> you, you don't get anywhere without Josh Brown, apparently. <laughs> uh, but, God bless you, brother. Yeah, look, oh, I'll try. Um, but I guess, yeah, coming back to the teaching career side of things, what do you feel was one of the, well, a few of the, the challenges that you saw as a teacher in this Aboriginal education space? Yeah, I think um, when things can be done tokenistically is problematic and, mm-hmm. um, and people falling into traps of thinking that what they're doing might be authentic um, and really is quite Yemen, you know, and mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, as a Aboriginal person stepping in into a, a school, um, then, you know, people automatically go, oh, well, what I'm doing, I'll just bring Jake into it and we'll continue. And I've worked at um, a few different schools and sometimes Aboriginal education has been done really well and there's some incredible people driving that. But um, I've also seen the other side of it where, you know, the it's not done well and, um, you know, you kind of just get hospital passed some stuff in Mm. Aboriginal education and when it's not um, and I think a lot of uh, Aboriginal teachers listening to this podcast would agree when it's not compensated with your time it's just expected you'll teach your normal allotted amount of periods you'll do everything else a normal teacher does but you're Aboriginal so also drive Aboriginal education and for that not to be honoured the, the mm-hmm. time that takes. And for many of us, that's something that we're really proud to do. You know, I would be very proud to help drive Aboriginal education at my school. 
But if it's a, just an extra thing that you do and it, without it being respected, that that takes a lot of time and work and, and developing, you know, relationships with community, if that's not well understood, then I can see that that would definitely be contributing to people wanting to, you know, jump out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I've also, you know, um, we've got some amazing community people in our schools that um, that aren't in teacher roles but they've just got, you know, great relationships with families and they work hard and um, one particular school I was at had their community was feeling a, a lot going on, you know, and they had a, an AEO at, at their school um, and she was a, a wonderful auntie. But her school, allocated school hours were dealing with things, you know, sorry business and traumas in families, um, student well-being stuff. And that um, – and then people would be going, you know, well, why weren't they um, in my period one class that they were timetabled to? But when you're dealing with family traumas and um, and supporting kids just to get through the door, if that's not well recognised by maybe some of our non-Indigenous colleagues, um, it can be can be problematic for blackfellas for that to not be respected. Yeah. Now, Jake, you said at the beginning... Um let me ask you the last question. Um, you were talking about teachers and tokenism. And we have a lot of teachers that are really worried about being tokenistic in their classrooms. So what is something that you would recommend in terms of like a book or a TV series, docuseries, anything um, about culture that you'd recommend to people to to get amongst? Yeah, for sure, of course. I, I hope you don't mind. I, I've actually thought of three because I couldn't um, yeah, good, I couldn't narrow good. it down to one. <laughs> Um, <laughs> nice. He, he, um, he, he comes prepared. He that's does. it. I was I thinking it. about it in preparation. I went, oh, it's like choosing your favourite kid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, th- I thought of three things, um, that, or three different um, things to read that have got different spins on them. Um, you know, if you're out there and you're a black fellow, listen to this, please read Another Day in the Colony by Chelsea Wadigo. Yeah, um, read. And that's just, it's so uh, empowering and she just articulates so well what probably a lot of us are feeling. Um, and she's just a, a really well-respected professor but also just a strong, staunch Aboriginal woman. She just um, tells it how it is. 100%. <laughs> you can feel that strength as you read it. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And so that's, I think that's one you should definitely engage with if you're a black fellow listening. Um, if you're in the, the education space, maybe a non-Indigenous person, and and to understand the structural way that education has almost been weaponized on our mob, um, I'd, I'd read Decolonizing Methodologies by um, Linda Smith. Now, she's a Maori educator, um, and it is quite broad, um, but she talks about the role of research and institutions and the, the damage that they've done on our communities but then also talks about what decolonisation looks like um, and, you know, how um, blackfellas can around the, the globe as Indigenous peoples who have been colonised can um, and have found ways to um, have that self-determination and sovereignty and be empowered. And um, when I started my PhD journey, it was one of the first books I started reading and um, it was just, it just articulated so well some of the things that, you were feeling the impact of but didn't understand the mechanisms that had been designed. Um, and the third one, um, I've got a shout-out. Um, 
uh, Uncle Bob Morgan, Professor Uncle Bob Morgan, who's he's just been a, a massive mentor to me. Um, he actually lives down the road from me now, so I come down with my daughter and, and wife, and we have meals with him every week or two. And very good. But he's got this paper, um, and um, it's in the kind of the field of research that I'm in, and it's called meaningless, sorry, meaninglessness, alienation, and loss of culture um, as determinants of chronic disease, and um, what it talks about is the role that for blackfellas um, feeling meaningless or your life feeling meaningless um, or being alienated or not being connected to your culture, the way that that actually impacts your health and well-being. And, you know, if someone's cr- sick, we prescribe medications, um, you know, and we think that that solves the problem. But what we don't understand are the the determinants that contribute to sickness and addressing those things, you know, around mental health and social and emotional health. And, um, and so that was, it's a really interesting read and it really forms kind of my standpoint is we actually need to address um, the social and emotional issues of health concurrently with physical health. Yeah. No, it's a really great listen, good mix of, uh, Different resources to get your eyes uh, onto. Um, moving on to what's one piece of advice for someone wanting to embed culture into their organisation better? And look, I think all of those, I guess, examples that the university's taken on just in, in your team, I think that's firstly one way <laughs> of doing it, that it's uh, it's a multi, I guess, pronged approach and it's not just about oh you do one online module and there you go you've got all the knowledge that you need and off you go and you don't need to do anything else ever again um but yeah what what other i guess what other advice would you give to someone yeah look look, i I strongly believe you can't do anything without having the community on side and where your organization sits and, and the impacts of the regions that it has they are actually the ones our our blackfella communities are the ones that need to define the terms of success. Mm-hmm. And um, we can't, as an organisation, predict what communities want. You need to actually speak with them and allow them to define the terms and measures of success, which means that you can't do any of that without relationships and connections to those relationships as well. And so it's it's so important that you we as an organisation or if you, if you're someone working in a school who wants to do this better, you can't um, understate how important it is to just honour the time that it takes to develop relationships. And it's not some gammon put on a barbecue and hope people show up. <laughs> Blackfellas won't show up, you know. <laughs> you, if you I think get that's, that's been done. That's been yeah. done too much. 100%. Uh, there's probably some nodding along listening to this podcast. You can't just send that generic email out <laughs> saying, we wish for you to attend on this date. Um, if you're an Aboriginal parent, um, you know, uh, and expects people to actually ever show up. Um, yeah. And so it's about how do you develop those relationships, you know, the, the conversations you have at the gate, the phone, you know, honouring the time that it takes to make a few phone calls a- a afternoon, each afternoon with um, those Aboriginal students, you know, even if they had a rough day, you know, call their parents and let them know that you think and, and care about them and, and hoping that they can do better and developing meaningful relationships and uh, unfortunately, there's no other way around it. It takes time and you've mm-hmm. got to put in the work um, and you've got to be prepared for that to, you know, be a slow process of developing relationships. But until um, you can 
um, develop those relationships, you can't really start talking about cultural shifts um, or even the embedding of culture and for it to be um, authentic, you know. Yeah. That's great. And I guess when it comes to relationship building, I think it's safe to say that it's not just all going to be lovely, rosy, positive conversations either. Um, Be prepared for not necessarily negative, but it's not always going to be the most positive and dealing with issues is all part of any relationship and relationship building at the same time. Um, is Is that something that I guess yourself or your team at the university has had to see or deal with um, during this sort of building time? Look, honesty is a, a good sign of a good relationship. And if people aren't honest with you, then, um, you know, how do you know? But if people are willing to be honest with you, that, that's actually a good thing. Mm-hmm. So we're governed by, at the, governed by sorry, at the university by something called BATSIA, which is the Board of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Education and Research. And they're made up of um, representatives from our community um, that are, you know, well-respected community people that have a lot of influence um, on the runnings of the university broadly, not just within um, Aboriginal pockets at the university. And so that is chaired by Uncle Bob, um, but we have members um, from people across the state in varying roles, and they, they're kind of our sounding board. Um, but we also make sure that our, our students uh, feel that they have a voice and that their families have a voice as well. And I, I have to credit the Wallatooka Institute um, they do a fantastic job of making sure that those students are, are able to provide open and honest feedback. And it's important for us to know that, you know, if, if there's some consistent feedback about things that people want done, that we need to be willing to change. And um, if that's the case, at the moment we're receiving positive feedback, but let's say, um, you know, that that, that changes. Uh, I hope it doesn't, but if it does, we then need to be willing to adapt to meet the needs of our communities and our students and their families. Yeah, exactly right. And if you were a school principal, company CEO, or if, you know, if, if Townie says to you, look, mate, need you to take over, over the <laughs> reins, you know, for, for the next week or the next month, uh, what would be a new initiative you'd introduce to staff around culture? Uh, look, if Nafe asked me to take over, I think I'd lose all my hair in the first <laughs> hour. <laughs> 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 Mate, all of my stuff is around relationships and yeah. and uh, um, from a, a business perspective, um, people can work literally metres away from each other and stay at that superficial, t- superficial tier of understanding each other. You know, we can talk about pointless things, you know, that and no, we don't ever engage in that deep listening or deep understanding and we engage in relationships based on role or title or God help me, socioeconomic status. Mm. And these, these things that for blackfellas, we don't care, you know, about the, that, that stuff. Um, instead, if I was uh, leading an organisation, and I think Nathan does this well, build relationships based on human things, you know, family and culture and, and community, but honour the time that it takes to develop those relationships. You know, how often do you guys um, jump into uh, a meeting, Zoom or otherwise, where we jump straight into the first agenda item and you don't even know who's in the room? Mm. Um, and honouring the time that it takes to develop those relationships is just so much more meaningful in getting that same work done anyway. Um, and so for me, um, I just don't think you can spend enough time on developing relationships that connect at the human level. 
Look, it's uh, pretty safe to say it's very well uh, sound advice, I would add. Um, Just sound. I'd say it's great advice. Yeah. I think Jake has really reiterated. Very true. All of the things that we talk about. So, yeah, I think you've done a really great job, Jake. I think if anyone walks away with any advice from anything we've done so far, I think what you've given is, yeah, really great. Thank you very much. Top shelf. (laughs) Absolutely. <laughs> um, and look, just uh, just quickly, um, so Jake, if anyone's wanting to look into what the university is doing in regards to its, you know, Indigenous strategy, where can uh, where can they look? Yeah, for sure. If you just typed in uh, the University of Newcastle Office of Indigenous Strategy and Leadership, that you'd come across us. Um, but broadly, as I said, we're a separate team to the Wallatooka Institute. So if you're a student. Um, or parent that's, you know, um, maybe you've got some kids that you'd like to come to University of Newcastle, I'd jump on the, the university's website and make your way to the Wallatooka Institute. Um, that's for our students, uh, for staff, um, Office of Indigenous Strategy and Leadership, we kind of look after staff at the university. And even if you're an external person, maybe you're sitting in a school and you're going, you know, I don't know where to go or what to do. First port of call, I'd ring Deadly Ed. Um, <laughs> um, e- e- email Courtney at. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> put, put in your plug, guys. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, if, if there's something, if you're in the University of Newcastle region and you, you need some support, you can certainly reach out to us as well. But, yeah, it's lovely to see Courts and Brownie, the, the work that you're doing and the impact that you're having and uh, very, um, very lucky to be able to have a, today's conversation because you guys are doing great things. No, thanks, brother. Thanks for coming on, eh? And it's, uh, look, I'm, I'm just glad to hear it's all uh, going really well. Um, there's certainly a lot of things introduced to Newcastle Uni, certainly um, since since we were there, which I think is really great to see. And and, and it's not just a it's not just a student focus or a staff focus thing. It's it's looking at you know how the university is just supporting all Aboriginal businesses and people all across the sort of Newcastle and Central Coast region, which I think is really positive. But I just think that if there is any universities listening to this that get in contact with uh, either Jake or Nathan Towney to discuss uh, how you can be doing things just like uh, what, they're, what they're doing um, at, at Newcastle Uni there. So, um, look, just want to say a big Malambu, thank you for, for coming on today, brother. Um, and, yeah, all the best and looking forward to seeing all the daily new developments that start to come. Thank you very much, guys. appreciate it. That's it for this week's Deadly Dose. If you have a question about Aboriginal education that you'd like to be answered on our show, be sure to message us on any of our social platforms or by sending us an inquiry through our website at deadlyed.com.au. If you think this podcast is some of the deadliest stuff you've heard, please follow, share and leave us a review on whichever platform you listen to us on. Marangbu.